Return to Dallas by Robert P. Fitton. Return to Dallas, Chapter 2. Fox Theater, Spokane, Washington, July 19, 1963, 9.45 p.m. Just what are you studying at Godzilla U? Dinosaurs. Why did I think you'd say that? American Studies. They reached the parking lot. And just what can you do with a master's degree in American Studies? She pursed her lips. Probably what I'm doing now. He looked around. I honestly don't know where I am. Maybe I'll write a book or work to get Kennedy reelected. I can't see you cooped up in the ticket booth or the classroom. You've got me pegged, Mr. Nobody. I would work for Kennedy. Something about Kennedy made his stomach jittery. Wow. What's the matter? One of those feelings, like someone is chasing me or my mind is hypnotized. Kennedy. Jack Kennedy. What is it about Jack Kennedy? I don't know. Ask Mrs. Kennedy. She motioned him to a fire engine red Chevy Impala with a white convertible top. The wax paint had high gloss and the white walls glistened in the parking lot light. What year is this car? It's a year old. That's odd. Odd? She stopped again and put her hand on her hip. Where in God's name did you come from? He shrugged his shoulders. I don't know. She raised her brows and then turned toward her car. I bought this on the last day of school. I woke up and I thought I wanted a convertible, so I bought a convertible that afternoon. Look at all the chrome and the white wall tires. All cars have chrome, she said as she unlocked the side door. She walked around the hood and got behind the wheel. Still smells like a new car, because it is. She turned the key and the engine quickly cranked over. Then she leaned toward him. You want to put the top down? Why not? Thank you. The humming convertible top collapsed behind the back seat, revealing a slew of stars above the building. She backed the car in a semicircle. Then she pulled out to the traffic light in front of the theater. With the green light, she began a course past the neon storefront signs. The wind blew her thick hair back as they cruised through Spokane, Washington, on a warm July evening in 1963. I have a feeling I've been in this time period before. You sound like a museum guide. This is so different, all these big cars. I think a lot of the downtowns disappeared. I feel like an idiot. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. Are you calling me an idiot, smile patch? I could, but you did that, Macbeth. She stopped at the light. I was one of the witches in Macbeth in high school. You a witch? I don't believe it. Her smile was different now. Look at the stores, Grants, Newberries. Things really did change. What are you saying? The odor of cigars from unknown smokers wafted down the sidewalk. He smelled food, all kinds of food. Then he thought about the stores. Things never stay the same. She nodded and turned up the radio. And as promised on AM790, Elvis and the Devil in Disguise. 
I won't say anything about the devil in disguise because he's sitting right next to me. He rested his elbow on the window frame. Who, me? Disguised, anyways. You want an ice cream? His face soured. If I had money... What's the last thing you remembered before you got here? Everything was like a storm, fog, and wild wind. She opened her eyes as if she thought he was crazy. If we were in Seattle, I would say you were washed ashore in a storm. Maybe you were anyways and ended up here. It's not that far. Where are you from? Unknown. She began singing Devil in Disguise. I'm totally lost and laughing about it. I have that effect on people. I can see that. He looked down at the chrome-framed AM radio. Next song had a catchy tune, but with Japanese lyrics. Sukiyaki. I thought you said ice cream. Her sad and glassy eyes matched her shaky voice. We are getting ice cream. Sukiyaki is the name of the song. Are you okay? She wiped her eye quickly with a tissue. So let's get an ice cream, Mr. Man without a name. At the Benoit milk bottle. The what? You'll see. She slowed at the next light. I'm sorry somebody hurt you. Me too. She looped the Impala into a small parking lot with a huge white milk bottle rising into the night sky. You've got to be kidding. Would I kid you? If I had the money, I'd buy you a double scoop. And I would eat it. Come on in. My treat. Return to Dallas, Chapter 3. The Benoit Milk Bottle, Spokane, Washington, Friday, July 19, 1963, 10.17 p.m. Sherry handed both ice cream cones to him inside the open convertible. He wrapped the white paper napkins around the cones as the radio newscast began. President Kennedy today landed at Otis National Air Base on Cape Cod. There to meet the president at his helicopter was his son, two-and-a-half-year-old John Jr. He inhaled slowly and wondered why the mention of President Kennedy's name had him flummoxed. Sherry stared at him as she took her cone. What's the matter? You have that weird look on your face again. I don't know. The president was off to Hyannis, Massachusetts for the christening of his nephew, Christopher George Kennedy, son of Attorney General Robert Kennedy, and his wife, Ethel. Godmother of Christopher George was Mrs. Peter Lawford in a ceremony at St. Francis Xavier Church officiated by Archbishop of Boston, Richard Cushing. He licked the double scoop vanilla. The memory loss heightened his senses. He slid the napkins up the cone to stop the melting ice cream. Sherry sunk her teeth into the sugar cone as the car engine ran. A human being today, for the first time, sustained life by means of an artificial heart pump. A team led by Michael E. DeBakey at the Methodist Hospital in Houston performed the procedure. Maybe they have an artificial brain. Sherry laughed and spilled the ice cream cone on her chin. He wiped it off with a napkin. I can't believe this. An hour ago, I'm in the ticket window, minding my own business. At the intersection of Market Street and Front Street in San Francisco, a 25-pound bomb was dropped by a U.S. Navy Reserve pilot on a routine exercise flight. She pointed at the radio and laughed. What's so funny? Now I know what you did. You bombed San Francisco. He shook his head and smiled. 
Then he bit into the cone. The Strategic Air Command reported no damage to the IBM building, but a secondary building a short distance away was damaged without any injuries. We'll see if he ever flies again. She chewed up the remainder of her cone. It's getting cooler. I'll put the top up in a second. Tell me, Miss Thomas, your family must live here in Spokane. Mom and Dad are retired in Hawaii. I'm still at the old homestead on East 10th. Only child? The one and only, my mother said, and I'm Daddy's little baby. You don't look like a baby, he said, nibbling at the rest of the cone. She pushed his arm in jest. Don't be throwing stones. You don't even know who you are. This is true. He took the last bite and wiped his mouth. Something caused him to turn around toward the light. Dr. Moon, in an identical green jumpsuit, stepped from a maroon and white Volkswagen bus. Like a gunslinger in the old west, he pointed a Luger at the Impala. Oh my God! What's the matter now? Hello, Patch. Apparently your little diversion in the chamber will not work. You won't meet Mr. Rosselli or change anything. Patch? Asked Sherry, mouthing his name. Who's that? Dr. Alexander Moon. She stared at the Luga. Mamma mia. Moon stepped closer. I haven't decided if I'm going to kill you now or just wait until we snap back. Sherry had subtly shifted the car in reverse. Then she quickly pushed her foot to the floor. They accelerated in reverse so fast the tires screeched and dust billowed into the night sky. Moon stumbled back as she spun in a donut pattern around the lot and continued in reverse toward the traffic light. As she whipped the steering wheel around near the light, Moon fired the Luger several times. A bullet pierced the metal stop sign to the right as she sped away. Moon ran toward the Volkswagen bus. You have an odd choice of friends, Patch, old boy. He's no friend. That's encouraging. You need to call the cops. Who is that maniac? Dr. Moon. Doctor? I think he escaped from the psych ward. She spun into a gas station and parked the car about 30 feet from the side bathroom. Popped the hood. Patch leaped out the door and lifted the hood up at an angle. Then he climbed back in the car. She shut off the engine. You like my driving? How'd you learn to drive like that? Her eyes moved from side to side. Oh, I just learned. And you don't know exactly who this madman is. The harder I try to remember, the more I forget. You've been hypnotized. Patch nodded. Right. I couldn't even remember my own name. She pointed toward the street as the Volkswagen bus approached the traffic light. There goes A.J. Foyt. Who? Forget it. Moon, leaning forward with the Luga stuck out the window, raced by the trees and cars. By now, sirens grew louder. Moments later, a police car, lights flashing, raced after the bus. Thank you, Spokane's finest. Patch exited the car and dropped the hood back in place. When they get him, he'll blame you. Good. Maybe then I can find out who I am. Toward midnight, they walked along the water just outside the college. The massive brick buildings and slate roofs surrounded a courtyard in the darkness. Some of the buildings still had a few lights on the inside, and the surrounding lamps in the parking lot brightened the asphalt and remaining automobiles. He guided her to a wood bench overlooking the water. How come you remember his name and nothing else? I know he was chasing me near the river. I came out in all this fog. She shook her head rapidly. This makes no sense. 
He wanted to kill you. I think he did. I just don't think you're leveling with me. He slowly turned. I really don't remember anything. Look, the radio said he was headed east toward Idaho. Then she folded her arms. What are you going to do now? He removed the folded paper with Rosselli's name on it. Somehow I need to get to Dodger Stadium in L.A. for the Pirates game on the 25th. I'll talk to this Rosselli and straighten this out. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Can I drop you off somewhere? Where? Hotel? I don't know. She took out her car keys. I'm going back home. I understand. She shook his hand. Well, I guess this is goodbye. Thanks for the ice cream. Don't mention it. She tilted her head and started back across the grass, but turned a few yards away in the dim light. Where did you get that picture in the note? They faced each other at a distance. I'm not sure. I think the computer spit it out. Computer? She rubbed the back of her neck and marched back to the bench. Computer? A baseball game that hasn't happened yet? A madman in a VW bus? So what's the problem? What's the problem? The problem is it's insane. She took her pocketbook off her arm and opened it. Then she wrote something down on a little piece of paper. Here, this is my number. Let me know how this turns out. Patch took the paper and nodded. Thanks again. You want my opinion? She asked as she started back. Patch did not answer. Try one of the churches. Hide in there until they arrest Moon. This time she crossed the field and the Impala started a few moments later. Patch held the paper as she looped around the lot. The red Impala then disappeared up a campus side street. He tucked her number inside his jumpsuit pocket. Under the streetlight, he studied the picture of Rosselli at Dodger Stadium. He concentrated, but something blocked his recollection. Unsure of just what he would do, he backtracked to the parking lot. Moon must have had the same black and white note. He walked quickly, but stopped where the Impala had been parked. The city lights glowed even at this late hour. Heading into the city would give him options as to where he could spend the night. He slowly smiled as he pictured her, ice cream cone in hand, as she laughed. He left the lot and walked down the sidewalk just outside of town. Again he smiled when he thought of her singing the Elvis song, and he wondered just who had hurt her. He searched the skyline for church steeples as he walked. Behind him, headlights exaggerated his shadow on the road. He looked to his left as a car approached. The Impala's top was up. Sherry pointed toward the passenger side. Okay, get in. I don't understand. I ought to have my head examined. You can sleep on the porch couch, Patch. I can call the police about Moon and then you can see what you're going to do in the morning. Patch leaned on the window frame. Are you sure? She raised her brows and pointed at the seat. Patch opened the door and got in. She pulled away from the curb. You weren't really going to leave me out there, were you? Yes, she said, and then she leaned forward on the wheel. Well, at least until I got to Main Street, and then I tried to figure all this out. And you figured it out in five minutes? No. I'm just afraid your Dr. Moonlight Bay will come back and use you for target practice, whether it's here or in L.A. Well, I'm grateful. She turned into a drive next to a two-story White House with a glassed-in porch. Then she shut off the car. 
What did Moon mean when he said, wait until we snap back? Maybe he owns a slingshot company. Oh, funny, Patch, she said as they got out of the car. Aren't you a little bit curious why Moon had a gun pointed at you? Sure I am. He followed her to the side door. And pointed at me also, I might add. I'll find out when the cops track him down. She still hadn't opened the door. Let me tell you something. Moon was traveling east. If he heads into the mountains, it could take weeks before they find him. Or he could just slip away. Let's hope they get him tonight. She looked him over. You are the coolest guy I ever met, and I don't mean it like that. You seem unfazed. I'll work it out. That's what I mean. Listen to you, Patch. No memory, no money, and it doesn't seem to bother you. I think your government. What, an agent? Yeah. She unlocked the door and then opened it. She flipped on the kitchen light. You want my opinion, he asked. She smiled at his imitation of her. What's your opinion? Time to get some shut-eye. 16 East 10th Street, Spokane, Washington, Saturday, July 20th, 1963, 6.45 a.m. Thanks for the breakfast, he said, pushing his plate forward. Can I help you with the dishes? She hadn't said much since he walked inside from the porch about an hour ago. I'll take care of him, she said as she yawned. Did you sleep? Oh, sure. I spent all night trying to figure out who and what you are. I thought I heard you scream. Oh, I had a nightmare. Oh, no, she said as she sat down beside him. What was it about? Not important. Sure it is. You might be trying to remember something. Patch rubbed his chin. Well, I was out on the prairie. I could see for 20, maybe 50 miles. In the distance, there are these gray clouds extending up to tremendous heights. And a car. Car? A long, dark car down the sloping highway heading toward the gray, towering clouds. Her dark eyes focused on him. Do you think you were out on the prairie before? I don't know. Sherry turned on the portable TV next to the refrigerator. So what do we do now? We? She watched the TV closely. The local news is coming up. We will find out what happened to your Dr. Moon. Patch removed the folded paper from his jumpsuit. He shook his head. I don't understand this. May I see that photo or whatever it is? Patch nodded and handed the paper to her. He watched the Q6 local newsman, but he doubted if the moon story would even make the newscast. This is strange. What do you mean? I've never seen a clear photograph on regular paper. And how was that note printed on the paper? Patch looked up from the TV. The main thing, Sherry, is the date. It says next Thursday. This is some kind of joke. Look at the scoreboard. She held up the paper. July 25th, 1963. See? Well, anyone would realize you're the victim of some practical joke. Or if I'm government, as you say, maybe it's code. I need to get to Los Angeles by next Thursday and find out exactly what this is all about. Good luck, she said, drying another dish. Now from KHQ News. Reporting on last night's bizarre shooting near the Benoit milk bottle is Wallace Davis. Wallace? A younger man in a light sport coat held up a copy in his hand. Thank you, Dave. Police are confused by the disappearance of a stolen van and the subsequent shooting at the milk bottle. 
The driver of the van, who was shouting, held his gun out the window as he raced away from the scene. Police later sighted the van east and off the state highways. As of right now, the van has eluded the police in the mountains. Well, at least they didn't mention your car. Good, I really don't want to explain this thing, because I can't explain it. Sorry. She nodded and put away the other dishes. Look, there's a second bath upstairs. You need a shower. Thanks a lot. You know what I mean. He nodded and stopped. And Patch? Yes, he said without facing her. I made a decision last night during my tossing and turning. What was that? I'll bring you to the Oregon border if that helps you get to L.A. Patch turned around. You don't have to do that. This is true, she said, taking a pack of juicy fruit gum out of the cabinet. He moved up next to her. She came up to his Adam's apple. She produced a large grin. You know, this is the wackiest thing I've ever heard of. I'm hoping that between here and Astoria, I can figure out this game. Complete audiobook of Return to Dallas is available at audible.com.